Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This is the Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world, all on the Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to the Hash. Live from New York City, Will Foxley here with Coindesk TV. Really excited for today's conversation, joined by Jensen Nassi and Adam B. Levine. Today, we're talking a lot of crypto stories, of course. These stories are a little bit more quiet out there, but I think this is why the hash matters. Bear market stories, got to know these stories in order to understand what's going to happen during the next cycle. Adam, Jen, how are you guys today? Pretty good. Amazing. You look great in the studio, and I was surprised to see us on those screens. Look at this. This is hash 3.0. It is hash 3.0 because there's only three of us today. Maybe we'll get Wendy (laughs) back here in the future. But let's kick it off, Jen, to you. It's really the first story. We got pretty interesting stuff from Capitol Hill. All right. We are talking about Jamie Dimon. So the JP Morgan CEO said he's a major skeptic of crypto tokens like Bitcoin and called them a decentralized Ponzi scheme. This was all in the congressional testimony. He added that the notion it's good for anybody is unbelievable, citing the use of crypto in ransomware attacks, sex trafficking, and money laundering. I do want to add that he said a properly regulated stablecoin wouldn't be a problem. And he said that he sees value in DeFi, blockchain, and tokens that do something, which seems very contradictory that all of these statements came out in the same hearing. But uh, Adam, I'll pass it off to you. What did you think when you read all of these tidbits that came out of that testimony this morning? Yeah, I mean, Jamie Dimon is a person who knows which side his bread is buttered on, right? Like, When you're talking about like the current financial system, you're talking about a system that's dominated by both political and well-moneyed interests. And Jamie Dimon really represents a a sort of point of power in both of those worlds. So this is a lot like, you know, the U.S. government saying, hey, we would rather not have any sort of alternative for you to use our currency. It would be better for everyone if you just do the thing that we want. Is that really better for people? Have they really done a good job? I don't think so. Also, the characterization of it as a Ponzi scheme is a little bit problematic, too. We know what Ponzi schemes are. Somebody has to be extracting money on the other side, and that is not really what's happening. There's a free market here. Now, what you could say is that it's a confidence game. 
And that's true about money generally. Money is, in fact, a confidence game in sort of the modern era. We all use it because we think it's going to be valuable in the future. And to the extent that we don't think it's going to be valuable in the future, we don't want to hold it. So again, like this characterization of it is something that's very beneficial to him done in a venue where if he said anything else, can you imagine what the response would have been? It would have been, again, like it's just all of the incentives align here for him to be the enemy until it's something that he can't avoid, at which point he'll probably change his tune a little bit to avoid becoming obsolete. But it's not a surprising take, I think. Will, what do you think? I love the story. And this is what matters during the bear market to understand these stories. These Congressional Hill hearings are really important. These smaller stories are really important because these things are what's going to matter in a few years when we're looking again at another bull cycle. So right now, I think is the time for people to lock in. So just going to get that off my chest to start off. Second, Jamie Dimon is so well known for this sort of thing, right? He flips in and out of his own points, deciding one day to be pro-Bitcoin, to be launching an entire fund for this product, launching JP Morgan coin, launching a bunch of blockchain technology, gadgets and gizmos, we don't even know what they are. And the next day, going to Congress and saying that a bunch of these things are Ponzi schemes, and he thinks nobody should touch them. So Adam, I think your comment is right on point, right? Every time we hear him talk about this, it's snake oil-esque, right? Because he's only going to say, hey, this is good for people who are going to give him money. He's going to say this is bad to people who are looking at his larger firm and are concerned about the role he plays within the larger economy. So he's totally spot on. He knows which side his bread is buttered on. And it's not shocking to see these comments at all. Uh, I will note that like only six months ago or so, he did talk about or they were building a fund for Bitcoin and other assets, crypto assets uh, for their clients. And it's like, why are you changing your tune when it goes to Capitol Hill? And again, I think it's, it's a money game. Jenny, I'll throw it back to you. Get your take. I think it's, it's interesting. You can just listen to Jamie Dimon and almost get every side of the story, depending on the day or his mood. I thought it was interesting that he cited the use of crypto and ransomware attacks, sex trafficking, and money laundering. I know we keep coming back to this, and I just think it's so important to say that these things would exist without crypto. There are other ways for criminals to transfer money between each other. And it's just so disappointing when I, I hear this narrative again and again, and I know that it's disappointing to the two of you too, because we've spoken about it before. I just wonder what Jamie Dimon is going to say next. Will, I think I saw your hand up and then Adam, so I'll kick it off to you. Yeah. The one thing I want to bring up is he is like pro stablecoin, right? And so that's a little mm-hmm. questionable because stable coins have really come onto the scene. A lot of people thought they were stupid. They were like, why not just use a bank or like a wire or something like that. And stable coins have proven to be a better product for the market. You can send any amount of money anywhere in the world instantaneously for a very low fee with a very simple user experience. So it's much better than sending a wire. If anyone's done that before, that's awful. But a lot of these bankers are now getting into the process of starting to trust that stable coins are a thing. And I think that's because we see regulation around it being a little bit more clear. I've seen USDC, uh, that token has really done well, Paxos, things like that. They are more regulated or at least not being stomped on by the SEC or any other regulators out there. And so I think bankers are coming around to it. And that is why Jamie Dimon perhaps is also interested in it and will give it a little bit more credence than he would have a few years ago, even though this technology was around. Tether was around three, four years ago, right? It still had a very large market cap. Uh, To me, it seems like whenever we have these big bankers in the headlines, it's only the only time they'll give it a head nod to a product is if they are safe, like from a regulation standpoint. Adam, to you, though. Yeah. So a quick note there on your comment, Will. 
So, uh, so I have some history with Tether. I was involved with the original specification of the project back in the spring of 2014. And one of the important things to consider here in terms of why would Jamie Dimon be interested in this is because of how these projects make their money. They make their money by taking in something like a U.S. dollar and then holding that as a reserve on which they do not pay anybody else interest, but they collect interest on it uh, by making investments into relatively low yield things, but with huge, huge dollar numbers behind them, billions and billions of dollars. So if you think about how banking works today compared to how it worked historically, it used to be that you would put your money into a bank. The bank would pay you a reasonable rate of interest. And if you had, you know, a million dollars in the bank, hey, you could probably live off of the interest that you would get. Um, off of that, a relatively, you know, modest existence, but one where you wouldn't really have to work and your money is working for you. In the modern era where the Fed has pushed interest rates down in order to support a variety of things that we won't get into here, that really isn't the case anymore. And I look at my bank balance and I bank with Chase and uh, they don't pay a lot of money. Like they don't pay any money. And even as interest rates are going up, they still aren't paying any money. So if you think about it, stable coins are almost the perfect thing for modern banks. They get to hold your money. You get to use a digital version of it that maybe is more useful to you or maybe isn't, uh, depending on kind of what the controls are. And they collect all of the interest on investing the reserve without ever worrying about paying you any money. So again, it's even better than the current equilibrium they have. Now to the final point, why would Jamie Dimon be talking about this now? Well, because as you said, regulation is coming in. And what regulation will probably look like in the United States as this gets standardized is you have to be a bank to issue one of these things. And not just any bank, but a big bank. So it's big business for big banks. And again, when you're talking about uh, Jamie Dimon and JP Morgan, you know, this is, uh, I think, par for the course. It's dishonest, but it's par for the course. Totally. I have to wonder what those wealth management clients are thinking when they hear Jamie Dimon make statements like this. I would think that it's maybe bad for business, but also I would think that if you're a wealth management client and you're involved in investing in any of these cryptos, you've probably done your own research. So I don't know that it's really affecting any business on their side. Sorry for interrupting you, Will. I'll hand it back to you for final thoughts. No, I think you kind of nailed it right there. Right? I think a lot of people are, are wondering how to think about these things still. And most people would probably agree with Jamie Dimon, who are within banking circles. Uh, we see that a lot of people sort of flock together. Adam, I'll give it to you, but let's move next to the next topic after that. Yeah, for sure. Sorry, I just can't shut up about this topic. Proximity to power, Jen, is the reason why they want to work with somebody like Jamie Dimon. We don't live in a system, you know, our financial system is not really a capitalist system. It's a cronyist system that is effectively based on how close are you to the power that's issuing new money and how much of that money can you get? If you're someone like Jamie Dimon, the answer is a lot. And as a result of that, if you're, again, big money, who are you going to invest with? You're going to invest with the person who has the closest proximity to power. That explains almost everything about our world today, but let's move on. Adam, you got the most base takes. I love it. Welcome to Coindesk's Women Who Web 3 podcast, your weekly podcast celebrating women supporting women, investing in women, and bridging the gender gap in wealth through Web 3. Each week, we'll be learning from powerful women sharing their insights on topics like creating belonging and inclusivity in the digital spaces, the metaverse, building prosperous Web3 projects, investing in cryptocurrencies and building wealth. And we have how-tos from founders and builders who have been there and done that, healing sessions to give you the power to overcome imposter syndrome and everything you need to level up in your crypto journey. At the end of each podcast, stick around for some Zen with a relaxing meditation to center you after absorbing all the stories and the knowledge. I'm your host, Cams, and I'm on a mission to empower women across the globe 
to unlock the unlimited potential and earning power inside themselves through Web3. Whether you're just crypto curious or a crypto connoisseur, this podcast is for you. Let's get it. Coindesk has a new event. It's called Ideas, the Investing in Digital Assets and Enterprises Summit. It facilitates capital flow and market growth by connecting the digital economy with traditional finance. Join us for a 360 investment experience where you can source, invest, and secure the next big deal in digital assets all in one place. Use code HASH20 for 20% off a general pass. Register today at coinest.com forward slash ideas. Okay, let's turn, turn to Coinbase and talk about a hundred million transaction that has a few people thinking Coinbase might be up to something. This is according to a report from the Wall Street Journal alleging that Coinbase has been opening up its own proprietary trading firm, including a hundred million dollar transaction that was settled earlier this year. The key point in this is, is Coinbase trading against its own clients by operating its own proprietary internal trading scheme? Essentially, another way to make revenue knowing what they're doing with their own order book. Coinbase wrote a blog post saying that the report itself from the Wall Street Journal was false and seemingly misleading based on a misunderstanding between client firm money and the firm's money itself. Right now, we don't have a lot more information than that. But it is interesting going into a bear market and looking at the spread of different exchanges out there, what these firms are doing, and if they are up to any games. Of course, if Coinbase was involved with something like this, that would be a big no-no, and I could definitely see some legislation or regulation coming down upon them because of this. But at this point, it doesn't really seem like much besides a report from the Wall Street Journal, so we'll have to wait and see more. Adam, I'll throw this up to you, get your take on it, maybe a little bit more of an explanation about why this sort of thing matters for exchanges. Yeah, so I am not an expert when it comes to all of this particular stuff, but I do know enough to tell you that proprietary trading is something that is not restricted to cryptocurrency exchanges. And in fact, all of the big banks have proprietary trading desks where they are somewhat notorious in some cases for taking exactly the opposite bet (laughs) that they're telling their clients to do. You know, they're paying clients who are paying them for advice, and then sometimes they win, sometimes they lose, but they're taking the opposite side of the bet. That feels problematic to me. And I got to tell you, I don't really care if it's an exchange that's doing it or if it's a big firm that's doing it on the banking side. It seems like that's something that at the very least should be disclosed. And again, these, these, these things sometimes, even when they are disclosed, are just not properly understood. So again, it comes down to not is this not a Coinbase issue, but sort of a whole market structure issue and a transparency issue, I think, more so than that. But that's kind of my only read on it. Again, I don't really know enough about kind of Coinbase's internal operations to really have much more of comment than that. Jen? Yeah, what was interesting to me, so I think, you know, Coinbase's shares are down, I I think it's almost or more than 70%, right? And so they are looking for ways to generate revenue that is not based on retail trading. We're in a bear market. uh, Retail traders are being much more cautious right now. And so these, these experiments are to be expected. I think the way that the story is reported in the Wall Street Journal is interesting and it makes me think who is telling the truth. There is a little snippet in that story. It says, the people who spoke to the Wall Street Journal said employees were discouraged from sharing information about the new trading business or discussing it in internal communications. That sounds very 
strange, dodgy to me. I think if you're telling your employees, don't talk about this and encouraging people not to share, you can expect reports like this to come out in the Wall Street Journal. Employees are going to wonder what's going on behind the scenes, especially when your company is being closely looked at by regulators for other things. I wonder what's really going on. It doesn't seem cut and dry. Coinbase's response was really interesting. I don't think this is the last we're going to hear of the story. Will, what do you think? Yeah, I'd actually take the opposite approach. I think that's probably pretty standard corporate communications, right? Trying to keep the walls up and keep employees inside, not talking to outsiders, especially when Coinbase has gotten so much flack over the last few years and it's gotten a lot of press time. Uh, I, I can see that they would not want anyone talking outside the walls. And Coinbase is not a finished product, right? They're launching a lot of different things. I think they're moving towards prime brokerage or if not prime broker already. They're adding like a lot of different financial services to their deck. Right now, most people know them as a crypto exchange where you can go buy whatever tokens on your mind. But in the future, they'll probably be a lot more than that. Like they have Coinbase Vault. They have a lot of Coinbase staking products. They recently launched Coinbase Cloud, which is basically like an API product for developers. And I could see them moving into proprietary trading like this as well. The question, however, is like how are the internal structures set up within Coinbase to protect the clients from being screwed over by other employees at the company? Uh, the bottom line is Coinbase wants to make money. Like you mentioned, Jen, like they're down 70% year to date. A lot of firms are down a lot of money this year, especially crypto companies. So I will have to add that in there. But Coinbase must be looking for other sources of revenue. Something like this would make sense in the future. The question is, like, how do you protect your clients that you currently have from your own team when it's trying to launch this sort of trading desk? Adam, throw it over to you. Yeah, so another angle that I would take on this story is that when you're thinking about sort of cryptocurrency as a movement, right, really what you're looking at here is something that's being driven, at least on the currency competition side, which is, again, like the Bitcoin side of things, not by things that are happening within the world of crypto, but things that are happening in the real world, in the traditional financial world. And the only reason why something like Bitcoin is even in the slightest interesting is because we live in a world that has effectively an insolvent monetary system that is in the process of collapsing very slowly and with much pain. So when you think about it from that perspective, what you're looking at is something where it's not about cryptocurrency, it's about everything else. And so we look for sort of indications of what's going to happen. We abstract things. One of the biggest abstractions I think that many people who are not deep within the industry have is Coinbase. They look to Coinbase as the first major publicly traded company on the exchange side that's really kind of hewn towards US regulation as sort of a sign that things are becoming normal. And so the performance of Coinbase is actually really important, not because anybody's invested in it. I honestly don't care about that at all, but because of what it signals about what the industry is doing. So whenever you see attacks like this that appear like, hey, that's actually normal in the real world, or this is actually something that, that isn't kind of out of the ordinary or typically worth reporting, but it is reported, and especially when it's reported in this sort of breathless manner, you know, you can also just take that into account that, sure, there's the narrative about Coinbase, but more importantly, there's the narrative about cryptocurrency and kind of what Coinbase means to that and represents within that makes it almost a symbolic company in many ways. So with that said, I think we can probably move. No, go ahead. Yeah, I had my little breath. I just want to add to Will what you were saying there. I didn't mean to insinuate that Coinbase is doing something dodgy or strange. What they are doing is completely legal. But Will, I do want to respond. The best way to get people to start talking is to tell them not to talk. So I think this is maybe a lesson in internal communications. If you're saying, don't tell anyone about what we're doing to a company with 
hundreds of employees, I think that you can expect that employees are going to start speaking amongst each other and then reports like this are going to come out in the media. And so that is my final take on that. Who's got our next story? Adam. It's me. So I've got our last story of the day, which takes us to Lebanon, where the country's banking association announced they have uh, that the nation's banks will remain closed, quote, indefinitely, end quote, after a string of unusual robberies where the only funds taken actually belong to the robbers. The Lebanese people have seen their money locked up for more than two years with very strict limits on what can be withdrawn from what the World Bank has called, excuse me, a Ponzi finance system in an August report. In that time, more than three quarters of the population has been plunged into poverty without access to their money. Also in August, a man drew a widespread attention and, pu- and public support after he held up a federal bank branch and walked out with about 35,000 U.S. dollars worth of his own money and was not charged with a crime. On Friday of last week, there were five more such robberies in a single day, with desperate people in some cases holding up the bank and then handing their money to family members before being arrested. This is definitely a terrible story and, again, a symptom of the financial system as it exists today. But it's one that's especially interesting, I think, in the context of comments from banking chief Jamie Dimon in our earlier story. And another important reminder on why you might actually want to be your own bank with the ability to send and spend funds where you want, irrespective of what your banker or government would prefer. Jen, what's your take? Yeah, I hope people are reading the story and learning from it, right? I think we grow up in a system where we are taught to trust the banks because why wouldn't we? There's this infrastructure set up around us. It's just normal. We're taught we put our money in the bank. That's where we store it. And that's where it's safe. And then we see stories like this, where we see banking systems collapse on themselves and people all of a sudden don't have access to their money. Crypto is a solution here, but for these people in Lebanon who don't have access to their funds, they can't just go out and get crypto. It's a really sad story, right? You need access to money to buy into crypto. And so this is a really sad story. I hope people are looking at it, evaluating the situations they're in, the countries they live in, what they can tolerate. And, you know, looking at getting into crypto. But unfortunately, this is not a solution for the people in Lebanon. When I was reading the story, it made me think of the Bitcoin white paper and what was happening worldwide when the Bitcoin white paper was written. And we saw the same thing in Cyprus at that time, right? People in Cyprus were not able to get their funds and Bitcoin was born. And so there are definitely solutions out there. I hope that people who live in areas in the world who think that this will never happen to them, read this and take note and are able to connect the dots. Will, what do you think? Yeah, this is a really interesting story. You sort of pair it against the backdrop of what's happening in Western countries that have more stable money. Uh, 10% inflation is not great. It's what we currently have right now, but it's pr- pretty stable compared to what you're seeing in Lebanon, Turkey, Argentina, many other countries. An experience for those people who are buying crypto is like they're just aping into it or gaming into it, jumping into it for fun. And then typically, you know, we see a washout cyclically. But in Lebanon, we're seeing some inklings of people jumping into crypto because they have to, right? They need to shore up their life savings. And if they don't, you have a case where a bank will close down and you can't get your money out. And there's an armed guard in the way. The only way you're going to get your money is if you storm that bank yourself. Of course, nobody is wanting to do, but if you're in a desperate enough situation, that's what we're seeing people choose to do. But on the crypto point of this, like, I think it's important. But it does show you how immature the crypto space is, right? Like this is the point of a lot of crypto applications. This is the point for DeFi. This is sort of like the golden nugget in the back heads of a lot of developers' minds. Like they want to help out these sort of people who are in these situations. But it's not there yet, right? We still have way too much work to do and there's still not enough 
uh, like safety in crypto yet. Uh, in this situation, right, like if you jumped into a bunch of crypto, including Bitcoin last year, maybe you're in Lebanon thinking that Bitcoin could help you out, well, you might be down 70%. So what's the difference between being down 70% and having your money locked up in an institution that you can't get your money back from? More or less the same thing. Uh, there's not much of a difference there. And that's the unfortunate situation for a lot of these people is there are no alternatives on the table quite yet. I think in a few years there could be. And there's some things like stable coins that do exist. There's gold and stuff like that. There's alternative investments and assets. At the same time, for a lot of these people, those things are not there. They're not tangible. They don't have access to them. They still have a lot of education to get there. So whenever I'm reminded of these stories, I just think of like how much work there is still to be done. Adam, I'm going to throw it over to you. Yeah, there's definitely more work to be done, but I want to push back a little bit on a couple of those points. First off, the difference between 70% down in dollar terms is very different than whatever it's down if it is down in Lebanese uh, currency terms. So it's important to keep in mind that sort of the, the exchange rate is something that's that for something like cryptocurrency is something that's dictated by trades happening around the world against all of these different currencies. And the exchange rates are different on a sort of case by case basis. Another thing worth keeping in mind is that going back to our first story from today, you know, as I said, money is a confidence game. And if you think about it, in many ways, the banking system is itself very prone to becoming a Ponzi scheme. We have this thing called fractional reserve banking, which many viewers will be familiar with. But basically what it means is that when you put money in a bank, bank doesn't actually have to keep your money. The bank does stuff with your money that might lock it up for a long period of time, might even lose it. And they have reserve requirements and things like that. But kind of the entire concept of traditional banking, as it's been performed over the last couple of hundred years, really relies on the assumption that most people who have money in a bank aren't actually going to take that money out of the bank. And so the bank doesn't need to have that much money on hand. That is pretty much the definition of an insolvent system, or at least one where sort of the liquidity of it is so poor that you can't actually service the people who are you know, getting that service from you. And that all comes back to what's going on in Lebanon, where, where confidence in the banking system, confidence in the ability to get your money out has collapsed, which then makes it so everybody wants to get their money out because of this dynamic. So again, like, these are all dynamics that are completely different once you start talking about cryptocurrency. You can definitely create banks that accept cryptocurrency and have the same types of things. But we see examples coming out of, for example, Wyoming in the United States, where they have what are called special purpose depository institutions as a new type of bank that treats your money like a valet treats your car. When you give your keys to your car to a valet, the valet doesn't own your car. The valet can't just give you an equivalent car. They have your car. You're paying them for the service of parking your car and then recovering your car. If the valet you know, sells your car and buys another car, they've committed a crime. And that, again, is what the banking system should be like if it was actually how people think that the banking system works. But it's this, under, it's this misunderstanding of how money works. It's this misunderstanding of how banking works and how they make their money. And more importantly, it's government support of all of these things and an intentional obfuscation you know, with this idea of regulators and all of these people who are in reality, we discover over and over again, captured by the exact systems, working on behalf of the exact systems that they are supposed to be representing and regulating on our behalf. So again, like the, I think the indictment here is anybody who asserts authority to say that you should do a thing because we're the people who are the experts and just trust us. I don't trust them anymore. I don't think anybody should trust them anymore. I don't think they're deserving of trust. And I think that that's why cryptocurrency will continue to gain steam 
because you don't have to trust them if you have a system that does it itself. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Will, talk to you. <laughs> I love I dig it. it. I, I love dig it. it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I definitely agree with you. I do think that, that there is a little hopium in crypto still whenever we see these stories. And I think it's good for us to press the brakes a little bit, realize that there's still a lot of work ahead of us before crypto can really step up to these bigger stories, like we're seeing in Lebanon, like we're seeing in Turkey, like we're seeing in Argentina. But I think we can wrap up there for the day, guys. Jen Snassi, Adam B. Levine, great to see you guys. Pleasure Amazing as always. to see you. You look great behind that desk, Will. You guys look good on these big TV screens. Nice little headshot. Yeah. Take it. Cool. <laughs> well, if you enjoyed today's show, you'll like the podcast maybe even a little bit more. Check out the hash on the Coindesk TV podcast network. From all of us at Coindesk and the hash in New York, thanks for watching. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.